Autoimmune diseases like diabetes and lupus seem so different. Is it possible that they may all share the same cure? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is Dr. Denise Faustman, Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and Director of the Immunobiology Laboratories at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Dr. Faustman and I are discussing how her type 1 diabetes cure research might be applicable to other autoimmune diseases. Dr. Faustman, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for having me today. So tell us about your medical and research background and how you got into this area of autoimmune diseases. Well, I have a MD and a PhD, so I can act like a clinician some days and I can act like a molecular biologist other days. <laughs> but my PhD work was in molecular biology and immunology, and my MD work was in internal medicine and then an endocrine fellowship at Mass General. And I got involved in research during my PhD work, and I got involved in type 1 diabetes research based on some preliminary data at the time showing that the insulin-secreting cells of the islet could be isolated from the pancreas. And it seemed so easy at that time that that might be translated to humans with great success. And your current work is in type 1 diabetes. Describe that for our audience. So we've worked over the last 18 years on the thorny problem that maybe the reason cell transplants haven't worked very well clinically or even in end-stage diabetic mice is that there's this problem of current disease. In other words, the, the pathologic T cells that were there in the original case are still there when you put a transplant in and are not particularly inactivated by immunosuppressive agents. So we've got to go after the heart of the disease, the bad T cells, in order to make an impact or a more lasting impact on disease course. And these bad T cells, tell us about them. How do they become bad and how many of them are there that are causing this kind of disease? The bone marrow and the thymus are really inefficient machines for making new white blood cells throughout your life. And you make literally millions of T cells throughout your life. And on a good day, everybody kills off most of those T cells. So that diversity of the T cell receptors is really important because, in theory, you don't know what pathogen you're going to see at the age of 50 or pathogen you're going to see at the age of 12. And so you make huge diversity, but as a result of making those diverse T cells, most of them or quite a few of them are going to be autoreactive. So there's an assembly line of T cell selection. So before they get out the door into the periphery, most of them should be killed by this structure called class 1 and self-peptide so that you don't have autoreactive cells released into the periphery. So one of our large premises of what we work on for autoimmune diseases, particularly type 1 diabetes, is to understand why that process is faulty and why there isn't enough self-peptide to kill off those cells and then what to do about the problem once those cells are out in the periphery. So what have you done about it in type 1 diabetes? What we learned first was the uh, discovery in a science paper that this pathway was interrupted, and we did most of the early work in this autoimmune model called the NOD mouse that actually has type 1 diabetes and Sjogren's syndrome, an autoimmune disease of the salivary and lacrimal glands. And we identified the gene that caused that problem. It's a part of the proteasome that people may have heard about. 
and that gene's called the LMP2 gene. Now, ironically, 15 years later, it turns out that that same gene and same protein is the defect in Sjogren's syndrome in humans. So this pathway is interrupted in a diversity of autoimmune diseases, and the interruption of that pathway causes the escape of these autoreactive cells. And once they get into the periphery, what do they do? As most people probably recognize, although patients come into your office and they'll say, I got diabetes or my son got diabetes on you know, July 12, 1992 or whatever day and year it was, it's really the case that that's the day their blood sugar went up. They had diabetes many years prior to that work. So people working in type 1 diabetes research recognize that not only in mice but also in humans, the disease is active for a long time. And you, quote, only get it clinically when the islets are so destroyed your blood sugar elevates. So after these cells get out there, how do they destroy the pancreas cells? They certainly circulate for a long time, but eventually they get exposed to the insulin-secreting proteins that they're not tolerant to. And our premise is that one of the worst cells to have around are these CD8 cytotoxic T cells that mistakenly recognize the class 1 with self-peptide on the islets as foreign and then kill off that target tissue by direct cytotoxic T-cell lysis. So what are you testing as a therapy for type 1 diabetes to get rid of these CD8 cells? We gradually started realizing that these cells were out in the periphery, and one realization was if they're out in the periphery and Mother Nature slipped up in the first place allowing them out, can we reintroduce the class 1 self-peptide in the periphery and re-educate those bad T-cells that were circulating. So sure enough, uh, that was the case. We could reintroduce the class 1 and self-peptide. But we also realized that that limb of a therapy didn't eliminate the disease in total. And that's the basis of that is that once these CD8 cells have glommed on to their islet target and are actually killing, the class 1 and self-peptide can no longer kill those cells. And you need another compound. And the other compound you need to induce cell death of those cells is something called tumor necrosis factor or TNF. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. Denise Faustman, Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and Director of the Immunobiology Laboratories at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, about her type 1 diabetes research and how it might be applicable to other autoimmune diseases. So, Denise, are other autoimmune diseases that much like diabetes that we might think this is translatable? There's a lot of data, both from the genetic viewpoint as well as from the side effect profile viewpoint, that certain treatments that work in one autoimmune disease may more broadly work in other autoimmune diseases. One example I mentioned earlier in the segment was that we got one of the genes that interrupt this class 1 pathway in a mouse, and, you know, that's very exciting for the mouse community, but might not be so exciting for the patient community. But it turns out that that particular protein that triggers this process in part in the uh, diabetic mouse is also the same missing protein in human autoimmune diseases, and that category of diseases are people with Sjogren's syndrome. So that overlap's been established, but other overlaps on the genetic viewpoint also correspond, and it turns out that some of these same signaling defects 
are on the same pathway but different proteins on that pathway. And some of that overlap now occurs with scleroderma and lupus and people with a syndrome called the AIR mutation, which is effectively polyglandular autoimmune disease. So from a genetic level, you're, you know, you're getting pretty good signals that some of these diseases overlap. But there's also some pretty practical human data to suggest that some therapies that work in some categories of autoimmunity may actually define other patients that would respond to a very different therapy. And the best example out there is I'm sure your audience that's listening today will know that there's a huge class of drugs that are anti-TNF therapies, whether the code words would be Embrel or Remicade. And those compounds are uh, effectively anti-TNF. They work well in about 40 to 50% of people with rheumatoid arthritis, but there's another 50% of people with rheumatoid arthritis that they don't have any efficacy. And those drugs have gradually been moved to patients that have Crohn's disease. And in Crohn's disease, they find out that some people who are treated with these diseases get new onset autoimmune disease. So it's it's not something you want to have happen. And the new onset autoimmune diseases they get are type 1 diabetes and lupus and vasculitides. And what's fascinating about that side effect profile data, especially in Crohn's disease now, is those are the diseases that we've defined and other people have defined that would benefit from TNF, not anti-TNF. So I think there is growing data out there, both from the very practical data of side effects of drugs to the very basic science data on the genetics of pathways, leading us to the conclusion that there will be clusters of people within select autoimmune diseases that will respond to opposing therapies, and probably even more promising, we'll be able to define those patients based on those phenotypes. And the work that you're doing now in type 1 diabetes with BCG, is BCG designed as a mechanism for getting TNF? Well, it wasn't designed for that. It's a, it's a side effect of that drug. So BCG is an approved drug worldwide for two indications. It's approved worldwide as a vaccination dose for prevention of tuberculosis. It's also approved at very high doses as a drug for bladder cancer. And so it has two indications, and we want to use it for a third indication. And how did you discover that BCG might be an appropriate treatment for diabetes or maybe some other autoimmune diseases? Well, we kind of came from the basic science viewpoint. We realized that there was a way to selectively kill the most autoreactive T cells in not only these end-stage diabetic mice, but also people with type 1 diabetes, and that was to introduce or to expose the bad T cells to TNF. So we went in the reverse direction and said, is there an existing generic drug that's out there that induces TNF, and could we use that existing drug to start some pivotal trials to see if elevated TNF would have a disease-altering effect. Now, in most laboratories, if people made that discovery, they'd start to create a new drug that they could patent and make a lot of money on. Why would you go ahead and find a generic drug instead? Well, you might say <laughs> it was the wrong thing to do, but we think it's the right thing to do. I mean, so often we read daily about healthcare costs escalating, but very few people have started in basic research labs to work at trying to introduce new things that would be better than existing therapy and also have cost savings. 
So we decided that in a disease such as type 1 diabetes, where it's a relatively small disease compared to a heart disease or hypercholesterolemia or even type 2 diabetes, that we should try to get to the clinic as fast as possible to test these new ideas. And we decided the way to get there fastest and cheapest was to use this generic drug. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Denise L. Faustman, Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, Director of the Immunobiology Laboratories at the Massachusetts General Hospital for talking to us about the possibility of a cure for a wide variety of autoimmune diseases. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.